the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week, I speak with Aaron DeBlenko. Aaron's been teaching with Edmonton Public Schools for 17 years. He coordinates an educational platform called Innovate, which supports student learning in real-world contexts with a focus on sustainable development, technological trends, and citizenship. Two new Innovate initiatives are CVO, Community Volunteer Opportunities, and SEC, Sustainable Energy Certification. Aaron's a model of both innovation in the classroom and engaging students. And you're sure to hear some ideas that you can put in place to increase the learning in your classroom. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, and we're even on Facebook. We also really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Aaron DeBlenko. Aaron DeBlenko, welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to have you on. Excited to talk a bit of learning and some of the different um, different ideas you have around innovation and using technology. So um, uh, that's actually where I'd like to start. I-, I saw you talk a little bit about this innovate model. It's this um, this this kind of approach that you've been bringing to some of your classes. Why don't we start there by explaining to our listeners what this is and, and why you created it? Sure. So um, basically, Innovate is a hands-on, project-based model uh, that supports student learning in real-world context. Um, we focus on sustainable development, emerging technologies, entrepreneurship, and reimagining citizenship for the future world, because that is changing rapidly from technology. Um, so... Uh, it's it's based on the fact that uh, the ways that we communicate, uh, transport ourselves, design things, build things, assess and treat health, uh, the ways that we produce our food and energy, everything's becoming more efficient, more localized and more automated. So in response to this rapidly mechanizing world, I think schools are required to find new ways of educating youth. Uh, especially through experiential learning and mentorship. So years ago, they came up with STEM education, which of course stands for the science, tech, engineering, and math, and more recently have added uh, art to make it STEAM education. And this is meant to help meet the demands associated with technological innovations because it promotes critical thinking and problem-solving skills while simultaneously enabling generations of innovators. So the innovators, uh, they will work in careers that uh, we, we know do not exist today uh, or ones that we cannot yet imagine. Um, so while STEM or STEAM is becoming more valued in schools, 
uh, transitions towards this type of education is very gradual. And rightfully so. I mean, we're educators. We're dealing with society's most precious resource, which is our kids, the next generation. And so we are careful and we are gradual. But we're also in that approach. We're also potentially endangering um, our youth in terms of how they're going to be prepared for these changes. So basically, um, I find it's almost impossible for schools to keep up with this change. Uh, greater access to emerging technologies, to maker spaces, maker communities, and the world of work uh, are things that I've identified as important to support student learning in the 21st century world. So Innovate was created uh, to employ a model which is called Andragogy. And this is a, basically a student-centered approach. And it's based on the adage that it takes a village to raise a child. And by that same token, it uh, takes a community to cultivate or to nurture a student. Okay. So if I get this straight, it, it, it's kind of kind of like a STEM or a STEAM project, it sounds like, or an approach. But then you add this element of community is do you think that that's what kind of if you were if you were to say oh i'm a steam school or i'm a stem school would you say that that that's the added kind of piece of that is that whole connection to the outside world did you think that steam and stem product uh kind of program they have that as well um i think that uh, stem or becoming steam is basically a bridge between the sciences and humanities and we tend to pit community in the world of the humanities right. so i see the value of that but I also understand that industry is quite uh, used to speaking in terms of STEM and educators are quite used to now speaking in terms of STEAM. Um, and so I, I use the word innovate or innovation as a way to, to bridge that difference and avoid some of the semantics. Yeah. Okay. Now, that is a, a fairly significant shift. I mean, if people are all in, you know, that bridge to humanities, to science and everything like that, and you're really bringing in that, that idea of the community, of the village, um, why do you think that, that that's really important? What do you think that that brings to education for you? So I look at education as having uh, stemmed away, not to use a pun there, but stemmed away from our most natural ways in which we do learn. Um, I think bringing in community helps make education more practical because it links it, what we learn in the classroom to the things that we actually do in our day-to-day -day lives. So, um, you know, what, what do we interact with? Who do we know? What are the pieces that put our society together? That's not usually part of our, of our curriculum. Mm -hmm. okay, so to achieve the goal of connecting students to uh, community and making uh, their, their learning more practical, I take a couple of different approaches and I'll talk about two of them here. Um, first, we help students make sense of curriculum. Uh, I like to consider students' interests and help them design a project and then find and match curriculum to give them credits. Uh, for each project that a student does, uh, be it an individual or a group-based one, um, I try to connect them to an expert volunteer who can offer current ideas, advice, uh, and maybe other resources that are going to help the students be more successful in their projects and learn more than they originally intended to. Um, this is instead of the traditional pedagogical model in which uh, we give students curriculum and we expect them to learn it. We, we tell them every step of the way, this is what you have to do. And these are the habits that you need to have to be successful. 
Um, by help, allowing them at some point to create their own projects, uh, the approach allows them to balance the more mundane daily live school experience uh, with an opportunity for them to apply what they've learned in meaningful and relevant ways. Another approach that we take is to find ways of embedding the learning experiences within career exploration. Uh, so through Innovate, uh, we've always organized events that occur over the course of a day or a few days and within places of work or post-secondary institutions. By doing this, we help students gain a window into what life is like in that career or in that place of study, and we make it more comfortable for them to you know, consider being in those places themselves one day. So such uh, experiences support this, this transitions to life after school. And again, it helps students make sense of what they're required to learn. Uh, it also provides a professional world with a process they can follow to work with youth in authentic ways. It's often quite tricky to just approach industry and be like, hey, do you guys want to work with students? They're like, <laughs> sure, but why, like, how does that what work? Do we do? <laughs> you guys got all these rules and what, like, <laughs> how do we navigate through those? Right. Um, so we work on this process and, um, Essentially, it requires me to act as a liaison between industry and education, and it's how I help build communities that support youth. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested. Do Do you get a lot of community professional type people who are really excited about this? Have you Do you have a problem finding these people to work with kids and work through this process, or do you kind of, I guess probably more likely is you've, you've got a couple and, and they're just really jazzed about it and you, you go, kind of go back to them yearly. Uh, no, we're always looking for opportunities. Um, so, you know, one day we did, uh, we were, we had some career fairs, um, in about four or five schools. And, um, I worked with the students at the different schools to, to learn about event planning and how to contact and reach out and then we had a, like about 40 vendors at each of these career fairs, at each of the, the four to five high schools, depending mm -hmm. on the year. And, you know, in that time, the students are walking around and they're asking the vendors questions and they're learning about like a lot more about um, different careers. But it's it's short and sweet mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't give the students that window that we're looking for them to have. So um, I've used that as an opportunity to go and talk to these vendors and say, hey, you know, if you thought this was a great experience, um, you know, give me a call on and we'll, we'll talk about what else might be possible. Um, out of the last career fair that we did, uh, we managed to um, create a four-day camp with Dialogue Architect Firm in downtown Edmonton, who not only gave in-kind um, many of their staff uh, to work with these students, 20 students, in fact, uh, for four full days. They also gave us a boardroom to work in and allowed us to tour around the building and talk to architects in action. And it was just like unbelievable. And that never would have happened had those um, those vendors spent that day interacting with students at, at their table. Right. So yeah. One thing led to another, so to speak. I guess that that leads into my my next question. You're talking about these young people who are who are really go getting, who are who have these ideas and these projects. But 
I wonder if you if you run into this 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 counter narrative, which which I think is sometimes out there. This people have this vision that young people are like lazy and apathetic and all this kind of stuff. I guess what do you say to people who have this negative view of youth, or what do you show them to prove that students can be that engaged and they can actually have these interesting dialogues with kids and produce this work? Well, I think that's a really great question. Um, I actually play on this word all the time um, so that students can juggle with it and learn how to, to turn that around instead of taking it personally, right? Because because they do and they, they hear things like, yeah, I'm a millennial or I'm of this generation and we've got these characters imposed on us and that's just not true. You know, there's stereotypes with each generation for sure and some of that may be based on some truth, but the lazy thing I find, um, I find that that's almost every generation <laughs> talking about the previous one. Um, you know, what does it mean to be lazy? So we always talk about um, necessity being the mother of all invention. But really, I, I think we invent or we innovate, we create because we want to decrease work and we want to increase our, our downtime, our leisure time. And I look at this biologically or through a biological lens as a means of, for us to conserve energy. And I think that's really healthy. Um, so laziness, I believe, makes us use our brains to invent things, to, to do work for us. Um, I always use the example of 3D printing. It's one of the emerging texts that's out there. And this is a, a, a tool where you can take an, you know, an image from your imagination and turn it into something digital and then convert it into enough files to then print it into an actual physical object. And during that time, you are free to do other things, to continue using your imagination, to relax and be effective in other ways. Um, or it's like people using Google Maps to get to their destinations. Um, I use this all the time. I grew up in Edmonton. I know the city like the back of my hand. But you know what? When I'm driving to work or to a meeting or something like that, I'm thinking of other things. And I don't want to be thinking of where I'm going. Um, and I find something like that, that, that makes me really lazy in a lot of people's minds. But it takes away a ton of stress. It's one less thing I have to worry about. And so I'm honest with students when it comes to that. I'm honest with people who call uh, youth lazy. I talk to them about how important that actually is and that there's a lot more going on than we see. But I just don't agree that um, from the connotations that that term has, I don't think that youth are, are lazy. Um, I think youth need to be engaged in ways that are relevant to their generation and the world that they see approaching. Mm -hmm. Um, when we criticize youth like this, we're really, I think, criticizing our own lack of innovation or ways um, that that will actually effectively support them. I think essentially we're projecting our own laziness onto them and saying we're not willing to change because this is all we know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's interesting where you took that though too. Um, I'm really interested in how. <laughs> perceived laziness can actually be the foundation of technological advancement because yeah. yeah this like slacker generation of people you <laughs> see in silicon valley it's almost a stereotype but yeah they they create in these incredible things to in quotation marks be more lazy but yeah that i never thought of that as a motivator <laughs> <It's kind> of, <laughs> 
flips yeah. it on its head for sure. Yeah. You know what? The other thing that I am absolutely amazed um, at some of your projects is with the environmental and energy projects you've been able to accomplish. Um, but but I know that's not always easy. So uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a few of your favorite projects that you've seen around the environmentalism piece and also the tips for pushing through some of that red tape that's often associated with do something new or unusual, especially if you're messing with the plant, the physical plant. Um, you know, uh, I imagine there were certain facility managers that you had to, to have a good working relationship with to, to do some of these things. So what are some of the things you've done and, and maybe some tips to, to get those, uh, stuck through? Absolutely. Um, there's, there's two projects that really stick out in my, my mind. Um, there, there are many, many projects, Well, I'll, I'll talk about two, um, for now, but the, the very first project that we did, which actually set innovate in motion, um, and, and to develop innovate alongside students in our industry connections and start building that community. Um, it's when I was, uh, working at a high school in Edmonton and I started there in 2006, seven, uh, before that, I was I was teaching up north, um, but when I came back here, uh, I was required to volunteer, and I decided to supervise the environmental club. I had an interest in environmentalism and in you know renewable energy technologies and recycling and whatnot, and so I thought, oh yeah, this would be a good place for me to to be. Um, so I went on the very first day, and I asked the students. I said, "What do you want to do this year?" And the thing that they were really fixed on was more recycling. And I said, okay, well, that's great, you know, but it's, you know, 2006 and we've been doing a lot of recycling in M10 since the early 80s. I said, is there something else we could do? Something that's a little less ordinary. Um, I wanted to inspire them. I wanted them to try something new. So I said, you know, why don't we become the first high school in Edmonton to get solar panels on the roof? And I said it off the cuff, like I wasn't actually serious about that. Uh, but they all looked at me and they were totally surprised. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I put my foot in my mouth. And do it. <laughs> I don't know if we can, but yeah, let's try. Okay, yeah. Um, I had no idea where to even begin. Um, I was new to the district again. and um, But regardless, I... I had to help these students see this through. I had to give them hope. I signed up to be a teacher and teaching is about hope. Uh, so we started on that journey. We faced a lot of roadblocks. Believe me, talking about solar panels in Alberta at uh, that time was not very popular uh, politically and in other ways. And people were like, why bother? Why do you need that for? And I said, because it's going to teach students something. It's going to teach them to look at the world differently. So it took us four years. Hmm. It, it took us four years. And most people maybe would have said, oh, man, just give up, right? I said, no, we can't. We're going to keep going. I don't care what it takes. We started this journey. We're going to see it through. That's the most important thing you can teach kids. So, uh, you know, it's, it's perseverance. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we finally got these solar panels installed and all the kids that graduated, uh, some ended up coming back and there was a few high fives delivered. They're like, I can't believe it actually happened. And I was like, yeah. Um, and so it was cool to say we're the, the first high school in Edmonton to, to reach this milestone. Um, another project that we did, um, climate change was becoming quite a hot topic at that time as well. Um, and so over the years, we did a lot of energy stuff and we started talking about like, how do you make this, this 
issue, this global dilemma that's impending uh, visible. Like, how do you, how do we understand it? So, you know, I said, uh, it, my classroom in, in those days was literally jungle-fied. Like, we had plants everywhere. Like, we were growing everything you can imagine. We had aquaponics. We were growing, you know, vegetables in that. We had earth boxes. We were growing cucumbers and vines were hanging off the walls. We had, like, all the plants that NASA recommended that purify your air. And we used UV-generated light. I never even turned on the classroom lights. So we noticed this interesting thing uh, throughout the, that uh, semester. Um, students were more alert by the end of the day, in the last block of the day, right? And I started bugging them and saying, yeah, so is this because I'm, I'm more entertaining? Like, I'm funnier? Like, you guys are just more alert and you're learning better? And your kids are honest. They're like, yeah, no, not really. Um, just feel better in here. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what's going on? Um, and we decided that it had to do with the plants and the UV generated light. And so we started looking into that quite uh, literally, right? And we're, we figured, okay, a couple things are, are probably happening here. One is there's a lot of oxygen in the room. Oxygen keeps us awake, right? Yep. Um, what do we breathe out? We breathe in oxygen to feed our red blood cells, and then we breathe out carbon dioxide. Uh, but we're sitting in these little boxes called classrooms. And in winter, the windows and the doors are closed. And you've got 30 kids packed in a room. And we're all breathing out carbon dioxide. So maybe by the end of the day, carbon dioxide accumulates in these classrooms, these boxes, and starts to make us sleepy. But that wasn't happening in our room because we had all these plants. We figured, okay, is this a symbiotic relationship that we have with plants. They're eating all of our carbon dioxide we're breathing out and they're giving us oxygen. The second thing we had was the room was green. And we're like, yeah, there's a psychological benefit that it, it calms us down when we're around green, especially in winter when we're lacking green, right? So maybe that's part of it. Uh, then we took the study further and we said, well, maybe it's the UV generated light, which is more natural uh, ways for us to to process things around us, especially information we're reading. So maybe we're less tired from reading with this more natural type of light. And it went on and on. And so we ended up creating a study that the kids called boring classes or high CO2 levels. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's do it. So we bought some CO2 meters, carbon dioxide meters, and we tested my class, which was always below 300 parts per million. And we went to classrooms that, uh, you know, roughly 30 some students in a classroom, no plants. By the end of the day, all those classes hit over 800 parts per million of carbon dioxide. And it says on the label, at that point, you start to get sleepy. <laughs> at a thousand, it's dangerous. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's a really cool study. And we wanted, you know, to start getting that out there to all other schools in the district. And we were told, no, keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but it's a case to have plants in the classroom. Right. Uh, so anyways, yeah. yeah, that is uh, super fun. Um, now I know that was your initial focus. That was the environment and it was, uh, it was really the jumping off point. Um, and so you talked a little bit about community and you talked a little bit about these projects and I'm interested if you were if you were talking to the average Joe classroom teacher about engagement. If you're just saying, "Hey, here's what I've learned. You don't need to go, you know, making solar panels." 
what do you think the truths are about getting students really excited about education that you've learned um, that you think you could pass on to, to anyone out there who's in teaching? So I think, I think like anyone, um, students are often looking for something that is interesting, something that's different, right? Something new. Um, they don't want to sit in desks all day and, and neither do I. Um, you know, it's, I don't find it healthy. Uh, I don't think it's conducive to good learning. Um, I think we're meant to interact. We're meant to move around. We're meant to make sense of the world around us. We, uh, we need to use our imaginations. We need to use our hands and to build things. Um, I think it's okay to agree degree to learn how to sit and work, right? Sometimes we have to do that in our careers. Um, but when in education, we're just learning a lot of theory, right? And it, it, it has to be applied. It has to be used for something, especially in solving real world problems, uh, because this gives us a sense of purpose today. Instead, the traditional model that we're all used to and that we're still perpetuating, it gives us a sense of purpose for our lives one day in the future after we graduate. So once you get a student to see themselves as capable and competent uh, as an agent of change, they're going to want to do more. They're going to want to learn more on their own instead of being told that they have to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that so true? Yeah, the, it's 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 always living for the future as opposed to living now and giving them a little bit of power to do that. So that's that's great. Um, this one's slightly re- related. Uh, I'd like to know, and I ask uh, many of my guests the same question: Is there anything about learning or education that you believe is true that when you're talking about it, you get a little bit of pushback on, or or some people disagree with you on this topic? Yeah, there's there's quite a few things. I mean, I'm I'm challenging the traditional model. I'm challenging what people know, especially adults uh, who have gone through the Western educational system. Um, people are comfortable with what they know. Uh, most of us, most of us have gone through this system, right? Uh, and we're putting our kids through that today. Um, you know, to quote Einstein here, he basically defined insanity as repeating things and hoping for different results. Um, we're repeating things and we know the world's changing around us and we're still somehow hoping for different results. And I do, I find it insane. So, you know, I agree that most people, um, you know, might agree with this, but they still fall into the trap of repetition because it's what they know. And it seems to make sense. It seems to create predictability in our lives. Uncertainty is uncomfortable. But I think the way things are changing, we have to help kids become comfortable with the uncomfortable of the uncertain. Um, you know, I've also I get pushed back when I talk about the standards that come with with Western education. Um, I believe that the standards uh, like things like exams or diploma exams, those are more for public perception. You know, I mean, does writing a two hour anxiety intense uh, driven diploma exam in one subject area really tell us how able a student is and how successful they're going to be in life. It might tell you some things. It might say, you know what, we've got good work habits. We can trust this person that they're going to be able to get the job done. Uh, but it really doesn't tell us about their ability to solve problems or to handle change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why we see a lot of CEOs that were not even uh, people that graduated from high school necessarily, right? Or we have the C students that are running the show and the A students are underneath them and they're doing the bidding. 
but they're not necessarily the risk takers or the problem solvers because they're so used to the standards and predictability. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that we put the kids through the standards and we are most likely preparing them to not to be able to handle this change that's coming. Um, but, you know, we need to give them tools to create and to innovate and then we'll see what people are capable of. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of a lot of people thinking deeply about the evaluations that we we kind of hold dear and um I think that's what you said. I like what you were talking about that whole idea of change and we fall into this trap even though we get excited about these new innovative pro um not not programs but even innovative ways of learning. We come back to that, well, and, you know, and would you do your exam because because that's how you get into, you know, post-secondary and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, what's interestingly enough is post-secondaries are starting to accept students in different ways. Um, in, in all that we do, we involve the students in their assessment. Um, in fact, we just call it self-assessment. And it's not that the students sit there and say, you know, I'm going to give myself a five out of five. No problem. <laughs> students, when they're actual... Uh, learning in authentic ways, um, evaluate themselves quite strenuously, mm -hmm. we find. Um, but it does a couple things that also help students, um, you know, be more capable in, in the world is um, when students have to evaluate themselves, um, they have to provide evidence for their strengths and weaknesses. And this gives them a talking point. So imagine applying that when it comes to like a job interview. They walk in there and they're very confidently being able to state, here's where I add value to your company. Here's some things that I've done in my life and I've seen where my strengths are. They're boom, 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 boom. But my weaknesses are here. So I wouldn't be really adding any value to your company over there. Instead of most people saying, I got good time management and I work well with others. <laughs> like the standard, right? And have you seen my diploma exam results? <laughs> yeah, have you seen those? Like hire me. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, how, how do you solve problems? Like how do you know? How do we know? You know so. Yeah. I guess that kind of ties into my next question and that I'm really interested in learning environments. And even people's personal experience in that. So uh, when you think back to the best learning experiences that you've had, I'm interested to know, what do you think about those learning experiences made them powerful? Was it the people? Was it the places with the activities? What do you think helped make the learning better? Times that um, I remember when learning uh, was easier for me. Uh, was when our classroom time um, accommodated more free flow of ideas, uh, movement, uh, times when we weren't stuck in a desk, when we were doing project-based learning. Um, I don't, you know, necessarily remember, like anybody, right? I don't remember what I learned in grade three math uh, in October uh, of that year, or I don't remember what I learned in science in grade 10 in January. Uh, or social studies in grade 10 in April. Um, but I do remember times when maybe we had field trips or times when we were challenged to solve problems with what we were learning. Uh, there was this one teacher in particular, uh, Madame Cornes, my grade four teacher. Uh, it was the mid 80s and Edmonton was starting to embark on this uh, huge uh, campaign to, to bring recycling and composting to our city. And so she thought that would be a great opportunity to connect us to uh, civic initiatives and help us develop some citizenship. 
Um, and it was quite simple. She just taught us about recycling. Um, but she started off with kind of the doom and gloom. She's like, okay, guys, here's the problem. We are covering, we're burying our world in garbage. In your future, there's going to be garbage everywhere. But don't worry, there's something you can do about it. And it's called recycling. And so uh, she was she was hilarious. She had this this poster of the world kind of buried in garbage. And below that was a garbage can. And then right next to it was this beautiful, clean, pristine world. And there was these items like paper and cans. And you could put it in the blue bin. And those products would not go to the landfill. They would be reused. And that was a very simple act that we could follow because we had a choice of what to do with our garbage. Um, and then we could go home and we could say, mom, dad, uh, you've got a recycler. You're going to bury my future in garbage. And so, you know, start to just guilt them, right? <laughs> the bat. Um, but we got to teach them. And that was so empowering because it was no longer every moment of my day being told what to do by adults. I was now the one who had the knowledge and I was sharing that knowledge. And that spurred me to a life of wanting to innovate from that, from that moment on. I'll never forget that. <laughs> the power of the old grade four teacher. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I often ask people, do you have a favorite failure or success? Something that you maybe have experienced that you think back often and say, oh, okay, do you know what? That's when I learned about this. Or, you know, oh, I remember when this happened and that's why I don't do this. Um, and it can be positive or negative. Um, I find oftentimes people dwell on their uh, failures more than their successes. But do you have anything like that that you think about often? Yeah. Um, I think back to when I was just a few years into teaching. Um, and there's this moment where it was a total failure that then turned into an ex a success. Um, I should mention that part of the innovate model is we, we totally encourage students to fail. And you know, it's, it's, we know that that's the best way to learn as long as you keep trying. Right. Mm -hmm. So here I am, I'm teaching a grade 10 social studies class to knowledge and employability students. And uh, there was a student who uh, was knowledge employability, and I, I deemed him kind of at risk. And uh, he's an interesting guy. He sat in uh, the front of the class every day, but he never said a word. Uh, he never smiled. He never acknowledged uh, myself or others when we try to talk with him. Uh, but a few months in um, to that semester, uh, the earthquake hit Haiti. And the students in the in Innovate wanted to help. Um, so what I did is I had them research ways of providing humanitarian aid. I said, this is a good opportunity to solve some problems and to reach out to, to other human beings in need. Um, you know, what can we do from all this way away in Canada, right? Uh, so students decided to build solar lanterns to provide safe, clean lighting. Uh, we did some in their in their research. They found out that their main source of lighting in certain parts of Haiti was kerosene lamps, right? And those are really dim lights. They're toxic to breathe in. But you've got to let's say if you're wanting to read a book, you've got to sit close to them. It's bad for your eyes. It's bad for your lungs. And we had heard that uh, a lot of the youth there were were getting sick. Or these kerosene lamps or fires were ruining, you know, their houses or part of their villages. And um, so after the earthquake, we thought this is an opportunity uh, to bring in a new technology. Um, 
I asked students in Innovate and, and in that knowledge and employability class if they wanted to help. And this guy put up his hand. And this is literally the first interaction that we had. And I was like, okay. Um, he ended up being super skilled at building, at using his hands. Uh, he wasn't great with books, but he could build. And he worked really quickly. He finished his lantern. We had a four-hour window. He finished his in about an hour, hour and a half. And then he wondered what he should be doing. So he's like, well, do you mind helping other students? And he did. And a lot of these students were like some of the top academic performers in the school. So right away, he started to feel this worth and this sense of purpose and saw that he had a role in a group of students that he normally wouldn't interact with either. Um, but then we sent these lanterns to Haiti and I had some contacts there and they sent us pictures back of people using these lanterns. Um, this student that I'm talking about got super, super excited and ended up becoming a lead student in Innovate. He started recruiting others uh, and they were helping with future projects. And there was no distinction between uh, the program that you were in, like academic program or knowledge and employability. That didn't matter. What mattered is that they had a common interest and that was to work on problems. Um, but one of the coolest things that happened is a few months after this, my students were invited to present at a tech conference at NEAT, uh, the, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. They had a business conference and they said, you guys come talk about your projects. And we said, okay. Um, I wasn't able to make it, but the students still opted to go. Um, and this, this young guy stood up in front of all these people, people he's never seen before. And again, remember, this is the guy that never said a word, right? Never smiled, nothing. And he told his whole story about helping Haitians and the benefits of solar energy. Um, the experience totally changed his life and it changed mine. I changed my, per my perceptions. Um, and I really noticed the difference in students' um, abilities. Um, and all these abilities need to be honored. We need to find ways to, you know, we, got, we have to change things and we have to, to look at students differently. Traditional education just didn't, uh, honor all of these different abilities from what I saw. So I needed to find ways of helping students come up with more things to do. And it just led to more and more projects and students brought their projects to the table and we just, we just kept going. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> sounds like it just hasn't stopped. So that's that is stopped. awesome. Yeah. Um, let's do, uh, one of my favorite bits. It's called, uh, I like it to call it a quick hitters. So, okay. uh, you can give the explanation or not. It's really up to you. Uh, but let's start with, do you have a favorite app, website, or, or another media, like a film or something like that? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, I usually find myself navigating to kind of the, the do-it-yourself project stuff, the instructables. Um, there's a lot of ideas that you can get out of there. Uh, it used to be more popular mechanics, right? But that was kind of a, more of a vetted magazine and the DIY stuff is again, it's for anybody with some interesting skill set or ability or something that they've created and they're sharing it. And it, it's this awesome community. Um, I also kind of geek out on the world economic forum articles uh, every year. Or so they're pumping out the next top 10, you know, or five to 10 job skills that you're going to need for this future world. That's, you know, coming up fast where everything's connected with sensors and actuators and, you know, um, but I really, I really like reading that because that's a think tank of, of techies, of innovators, of economists, of scientists, of people from all walks of life. 
Um, and they're all looking at trends in the world and trying to make sense of what is our best bet um, in terms of how we approach education with our youth. Um, and I also really like anything with Elon Musk. Um, I just I just find the guy so interesting, right? He's not the guy that sits there and reads the how-to book. He's the guy that writes the how-to book. He just goes out and does it, right? Yeah. Do you have a, a book that you either quote or refer to or that you gift to other people more than others? Um, well, yeah, there is there is a few that I talk about quite regularly. Um, one of a, a great example in, in Canada, a great innovator in Canada is this guy named Anthony Lacavera, and he's out of Toronto. He's the one that brought us win mobile which is now Shaw communications and he wrote this book called how we can win and it's usually about it's kind of looking at canadians through the lens of the nice person instead of the go-getter business person and he's like look we got to stop like being so nice and we got to start being more aggressive um canada has all the talent and stability in the world that we should have companies that are, you know, competitive with Silicon Valley. Um, and he tells this whole story of Win Mobile and and going up against the oligarchs. And I just love the things that he's talking about and the things that he's trying to right now, like Next 36, where he invests uh, a lot of money into trying to find the next 36 uh, great innovators in Canada. Uh, it's it's brilliant and it's it's a um, such a great gift to our country. Um, other books that I, I really love are um, Yuval Harari. He wrote uh, uh, Homo Sapiens, Homo Deus, and now 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. I think he's a very honest writer. Uh, I think he challenges people's views, uh, the way that they make sense of the world. And I think that that's important. It keeps us thinking and on our toes. Um and more of a fun book that I like to say is um, The Lorax. I still love Dr. Zeus. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in those books. Um, in fact, for my master's degree, I, I quoted The Lorax readily. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're getting, yeah, you're not the first person to recommend the Harari books. I think I'm going to have to get into them. I read a bunch of his, or I listened to a bunch of his podcasts, but I think I'm going to have to invest the time and get through one of the uh, one of the actual books. Sure. Um, is there one thing that you do every day or most days that helps you to be well and healthy? Yeah, I, um, I have two kids and a beautiful wife, and I try to spend as much time with them as I possibly can. Um, life tends to just get so busy. Um, we spend a lot of time um, trying to keep healthy. We're always out walking. We live on the ravine here. We have access to this, this beautiful nature reserve uh, that goes throughout Edmonton. Uh, we do a little bit of birding, a lot of biking, a lot of skiing. Those are kind of my everyday things. We always find some activity to do together like that. So That's awesome. Now, yeah. uh, how about an organization or, or a person that really inspires you? And that can be, um, you know, kind of long time or even just recently. Um, I'm going to have to go back to Elon Musk. Again, I love his story. Um, he, he just created things. He was the change that he wanted to see in the world. Uh, he's up against all odds, and he has changed things much quicker than than uh, most, I think, 
organizations have been able to to achieve in his in his short life. You know, he's he's still young and he still has so much capacity and he's always coming out with something new. Um, I just I can't uh, I can't uh, not be interested in knowing what he's up to. <laughs> yeah. I agree, and always trying to figure out what he's going to do next. That's uh, yeah, fascinating yeah. guy. Um, now, I'm interested to know uh, what are some of the questions or problems that you're looking at tackling next. What are some of the next ideas you've got kicking around for for innovative ways to to kind of teach and learn or even ways to to maybe inform society or, or kind of move some of these things forward yeah so i've been working on a project called the five percent energy challenge and it's actually a um it's built around a cts course called energy conservation principles um, and it's something that I'm trying to deliver province-wide with some of my industry connections. Um, but basically what it does is it, it's a self-directed uh, earned credit where students get to learn about energy um, and they become aware of energy. And I make it clear that it's just a simple awareness because if I throw the word literacy at them, uh, I just find that that's like, that's not engaging, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to be literate in energy. <laughs> not a lot of people, maybe one or two, but not most people. Though. But if you say aware, it's just non-threatening. And so I've really been trying to find a way to make energy visible so that we could start having, you know, better conversations, uh, around the dinner table uh, throughout our province. We're, we're heavily focused on oil and gas. Um, but I think we really need to think about um, diversifying the economy, um, which is more aligned to the way that the world is going. And I think there's a lot of opportunities in that. Um, so the 5% challenge teaches students the simple things that they will need to know for the rest of their lives, like how to read an energy bill, how to read an energy meter, uh, and then they get to walk around with this interactive spreadsheet that calculates for them. They enter a couple things like I've got five LED light bulbs or I've got two fans and it gives an average of their kilowatt hours and it spits out a total kilowatt hours and a cost uh, for using that amount of energy. And then they're tasked with coming up with either infrastructural or behavioral changes to reduce that energy consumption by 5%. Um, and so they've got to talk with their family and they got to figure things out. And then we accumulate all this information and we start having bigger conversations about the ways we use energy. And I think it's a contentious issue because we just we don't talk about energy or the ways that we use it necessarily. It's not that exciting of a topic, but I think it can be. Well, yeah. Yeah. And you're incorporating that tech and and, and making it really quite interesting i think so that that's interesting to see i'm look forward to that uh, now let's see people want to connect with you they love what you're doing uh, is there any way they can kind of follow along or maybe uh ask you a question or two absolutely um i'll just give you my personal email here mm -hmm. uh it's, it's adblank at gmail.com so that's a d u b l e n k at gmail.com well, do you know what, Aaron? I, I'm just uh, really, really excited um, for everything you're talking about and bringing it back to my school. 
Uh, I also am excited to see what kind of things you got going going forward and um, all these kind of both energy and community things. So I want to thank you so much for sharing today. That was uh, it was really good. I think people are going to get a lot out of our conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.